The Seahawks are officially back in the win column after a 27-23 road victory over the Rams on Sunday. Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking down all of our takes on offense, defense, and special teams with our Monday musings on Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We've got a jam-packed episode coming your way. Seahawks back in the win column with a 27-23 victory over the Rams. After a chance to look back at the film, we're going to be dishing out some Monday takeaways, our Monday musings on offense, defense, and special teams. We've also got the return of our mailbag. We'll be answering plenty of questions from you, our valued listeners, and much more. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than a Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with a promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. Now for your lead story here on the opening drive of our Monday Locked On Seahawks. Geno Smith took another chapter in his storybook season yesterday against the Rams, his first ever game-winning drive inside, two minutes to play, leading the Seahawks to a thrilling four-point NFC West win and staying within one game of the 49ers in the NFC West. It's easy to sit here and gush about everything that Geno Smith has been able to do this season just because of the low expectations going into the season, had to beat out Drew Locke, and then has just put up lofty numbers that really stack up against any quarterback in the NFL, still first in completion percentage, in the top five in touchdown passes, second in passer rating, first in completion percentage above expectation. He has been fantastic. And yet, Rob, I think when you look from a historical context, we maybe haven't been looking at Geno Smith's season with enough regard because – he is entering uncharted territory compared to previous NFL quarterbacks, at least in terms of efficiency. Yeah, I think that's a great way of saying it, Corbin. I think that there's going to be some Seahawks fans out there saying, really, you guys are talking about Geno Smith again? Let's get over it. He hasn't been that good. No, it's it's quite the opposite. He has been that good. He's been absolutely spectacular. And, you know, of course, I've raised my hand so many times uh, as being one of those who was critical uh, of the fact that, that, that Geno Smith won the Seahawks starting position. I did not think that he would have this type of success. I don't think that anybody thought that Geno Smith would have this type of success. It's not just the fact that the Seahawks are 7-5 and five and just a game out of first place with the one game remaining against the San Francisco 49ers, the only team that's ahead of them. If you put up Geno Smith's numbers historically against anybody in NFL history, then he is right there with them. 
Uh, you know, I mean, he, the accuracy, the ability, the, the poise that we're seeing from him has just been uncanny. I mean, it's getting to be like a broken record, the way that he just kind of steps into the pocket, just kind of ducks and dips his shoulder and evades that initial pass rush and is throwing the ball accurately, whether he has to reset his feet, whether he's just stepping up into the pocket, whether he's on the rollout to his left or his right. Uh, it really has been remarkable this season. Corbin, I've been waiting to see a return to the Geno Smith that I've seen in the past. And all I keep seeing is a guy who was playing his best football in the most critical of moments. I, I really have been amazed by what he has done this season. I agree with you. I think that we need to be celebrating him more often. If this was a player playing for one of the bigger teams in the me more media market, uh, you know, the bigger media markets throughout the NFL, he absolutely would be at the, at the beginning of the MVP consideration, his play so far this season, Corbin has been spectacular. It's frankly been every bit as good as any season that we've seen from Russell Wilson, Dave Craig, Jim Zorn, any Matt Hasselbeck, any other quarterback in Seattle Seahawks history. As you just mentioned, if Geno Smith can maintain the pace that he's on, he is going to set single season records for passing yardage and completion percentage for the Seahawks this year. That's going to outlast, outdo any season that Matt Hasselbeck, Russell Wilson, or Dave Craig had. Touchdown passes, he's not going to quite get there. He's on pace for 31. But that number is key here because I think from a historical context perspective, fans might not realize just how incredible of a season Geno Smith is having compared to his peers in NFL history. This is not just, oh, this is just a really good season. No, this is an all-time great caliber season. And just to put that in perspective, Drew Brees was the king of completion percentage throughout his going-to-be Hall of Fame career. It seemed like every year he led the league in completion percentage, racked up tons of passing yardage, throws the ball a lot more than what Geno Smith has thrown for the Seahawks this year, quite frankly. But there's only been one quarterback in NFL history that has had over 4,400 passing yards, more than 31 passing touchdowns, and a completion percentage above 71%. Drew Brees did it in 2011. If Geno Smith maintains the pace that he's on right now, he will join Drew Brees as quarterback number two to accomplish that. And again, this is based on projections that his numbers he's had the first 12 games translate to the full 17-game schedule. He's on pace for almost 4,500 passing yards, 31 touchdown passes, and a 72.7% completion rate. So that would be a higher completion percentage than Drew Brees had. Obviously, Bruce Brees threw for a lot more yards and touchdown passes in 2011. But Geno Smith is on pace to throw the ball more than 100 times fewer than what Drew Brees did in 2011 and so that makes the statistics he's putting up even more impressive he has been shouldering the load more in recent games but still this has not been an offense where he's slinging the ball 40 to 50 times a game like Drew Brees did a lot during his prime years with the Saints and yet he is putting up ridiculously efficient numbers and I think 12 games into the season it is a big enough sample size to believe especially with the weapons he's got at DK Metcalf Tyler Lockett Noah Fant, other players that he can throw the football to, that he can continue this through the rest of the season and into the playoffs if they make it. 
Yeah, and that's the thing that I can keep coming back to is just the degree of difficulty with which that Geno Smith is is still completing these these passes. I mean, again, seventy two percent completion rate is absolutely ridiculous. And Pete Carroll used to talk about that. That's what he was hoping that Russell Wilson would get to. Is someday we might have a quarterback that would get to that seventy percent completion rate. I, I thought that if Geno Smith or if any other quarterback for Seattle was going to be able to get anything close to seventy percent then they would have to completely scrap their deep downfield passing attack that Geno Smith has continued this season. I mean, he leads all NFL quarterbacks in passes over 20 yards. So clearly, Seattle is still attempting those very difficult throws. There was one throw in particular to DK Metcalf, not the game winner. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But a deep ball down the right sideline where I think the, the color play, the color uh, color commentator for Fox Sports, Mark Sanchez, I thought they did a really nice job of articulating the way that DK Metcalf kind of slowed down, used his big body to kind of create some space and catch the ball. But what he failed to recognize, uh, or at least voice, was just how good of a throw that it was from Geno Smith. I mean, he just threw the ball with such pillow soft touch throughout this game, throughout the entire season. That to me is a big part of why Geno Smith's completion percentage is so spectacular. And again, let's just give credit where credit is due here. You're talking about going up against arguably the best cornerback in all of the NFL and Jalen Ramsey and DK Metcalf and Geno Smith torched him you have the number one defense in all of the nfl statistically in the san francisco 49ers obviously seattle struggled in that first game but again they're going to have a second opportunity against them you're going against the arizona cardinals team that has two of the most dynamic inside linebackers some really good safeties as well you're going against some really difficult defenses for geno smith better defenses frankly than drew Brees was going against all those years ago in the nfc south which not coincidentally in my opinion is the worst division in all of football this season at least so to me again I, I think that we are not touting Geno Smith's accomplishments enough even though I feel like we're talking about him each and every week that's just how good he's been yeah I was kind of on that fence where are we talking about this a little bit too much you know we've talked so much about how well Geno's playing and then once I figured out where he stacks up favorably from a statistical standpoint Historically, it's obvious that Geno Smith should be a front runner for MVP. I think at this point, I know everybody's looked at it as a feel-good story and, oh, he's a dark horse MVP candidate. At this point, I think calling him a dark horse MVP candidate is actually defamatory to an extent. I think he has been that good. He absolutely needs to be at that table right now with the numbers he's putting up. And he's carrying this offense now with all the running backs going down yesterday. Rashad Penny's been out since week five. I mean, he just continues to keep slinging the pigskin, even when the running game isn't there because they don't have any healthy running backs. He keeps getting it done. And so he deserves this praise and he's going to keep deflecting it too. It's all about the team, but he is a big part of the reason they're seven and five and they are in a position to make the playoffs, maybe even win the NFC West. If it sounds like we are campaigning for an MVP, we absolutely are because he deserves to be in that discussion. Coming up next, we're going to tackle your questions in our weekly mailbag. Didn't get to it last week. There was so much going on, but tons of questions from our valued listeners we're going to answer coming up next here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. 
Today's podcast is brought to you by Total Wine and More. This holiday season, find what you love at Total Wine and More with so many great bottles to choose from. It's easy to find a new favorite single barrel bourbon or the perfect gifts for everyone in your list with some help from a friendly guide and with the confidence of knowing you found something special for the lowest price. Find what you love, love what you find only at Total Wine and More. They offer curbside pickup and delivery available at most stores. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, and of course, make sure you're 21. This podcast is also brought to you by Simply Safe. When it comes to burglars, your home is like the end zone, and you need the absolute strongest defense you can muster. This is why I use and trust Simply Safe Home Security. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. It's cutting-edge technology powered by 24-7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back and always make sure your home is safe. Simply Safe keeps my home safe with the best technology available, including the ability to control my system from my phone, watch my security cameras in crystal clear HD, and use a variety of high-tech sensors for the best quality protection. And the best part, with 24-7 professional monitoring, Simply Safe agents call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch police or first responders in an emergency, even if you're not home or can't be reached. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash NFL. You can save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free. Visit simplysafe.com slash NFL to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And thanks to the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. For your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked on Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard, behind the scenes, with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, it's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. We weren't able to get to our Monday mailbag last week. There was a lot going on heading into a Week 13 contest against the Rams. Weren't able to get to your questions, but we are going to get to our mailbag here today. We've got several questions from you, our valued listeners. A lot of running back questions, as you anticipated, going into today's episode. Our first question here coming from Ryan C., will the Seahawks add another running back to the roster should the Hawks sign Melvin Gordon off the Chiefs practice squad? Rob, I'm going to dish it over to you. I know that you were against the idea of bringing Melvin Gordon in a few weeks ago, but this was obviously before Ken Walker III, DJ Dallas, and Travis Homer all went down with injuries, and we don't know how long those guys are going to be out or the severity of the injuries. Pete Carroll didn't provide any updates today that really provided a timetable might have a couple of those guys this weekend against Carolina. They might not. Maybe that changes a little bit your tune with all the injuries they've got. Nope. Not when it comes to Melvin Gordon, it doesn't. I mean, I think Melvin Gordon is a, is a fine player. Uh, just ball security to me is number one at the running back position. That's something that he has struggled with, especially this season. I think that he is an aging back. I, I'm intrigued by some of the players that Seattle has on the practice squad. Um, and Gawain Iwabuke, um, and then I believe Darwin Thompson, uh, former Utah State guy. They are completely different size backs than what Seattle already has as far as the only healthy back currently on the roster. We saw Tony Jones Jr., what he was able to do for Seattle in the big win against the Rams. Uh, you know, he is a 5'11", 225 pound back who does have good burst. Um, I think that you, you look at Iwibuke, he's a former safety, um, 5'10", uh, 215 pounds, uh, good athlete, catches the ball very well. 
Um, and but he's been on and off the Seattle's practice squad for the last couple of months. He's been on for the last this last tour um, for the last basically month now. He is going to know Seattle's offense well enough to be able to kind of hit the ground running, so to speak. And that's something that I think that any other veteran that's going to be out there is not going to be able to provide. And if you need that third down back, that guy who maybe has a little bit more wiggle, um, a little bit of better hands out of the backfield. Again, Darwin Thompson from Utah State is a player I've been very high on for a long time. I also think that he could fill that Travis Homer, DJ Dallas type of role. So I do think there's a possibility that Seattle is going to look outside of their franchise because you just need to have enough healthy bodies. But at the same time, I would be surprised if Seattle went with a veteran name that everybody else has heard of. Wouldn't be surprised if they pill for somebody off the practice squad. Um, but would, I would be surprised if it is a well-known player like a Melvin Gordon. Yeah, I would be surprised at this point, too. I'm higher on Gordon fitting in in Seattle's backfield, especially if they are going to be without Ken Walker III for an extended period of time. You want to have a proven back that can run between the tackles. And obviously, fumbling has been an issue, but he's been very productive in his career. He can catch the football some, too. So I could see some value there. I would be surprised, though, if the Seahawks go that route. And Pete Carroll basically said today, They've got to go with what they have currently on the roster in large part because you only get a couple practices during the week before you got to play a game. And now running back is one of the easier positions to learn plays and be able to step right into the lineup. It's different than playing safety, for example. Jonathan Abram was not going to play three days after coming off waivers because he didn't know the defense and needed to get all that stuff down. He might be able to play this week. But running back is still a position you only get a couple of practices under your belt. It can be difficult. And so I don't see Seattle going that route unless they realize that a couple of these backs could miss multiple weeks. And then they know Rashad Penny's not going to be back anytime soon. At that point, they might say, let's go and see if we can scan the practice squad wire. Is there a player that's worth bringing in? But right now, I would expect their two practice squad running backs are the ones that are in line to get called up, maybe get elevated to the 15-man roster, depending on the severity of these injuries, and they'll go that route instead. Next question here, coming from Noah Kane: reaction to Baker Mayfield being released today by the Carolina Panthers. You know, Rob, I'd love to say I was shocked by this, but I mean, look what's gone down in Carolina. Mayfield was terrible as the start at the beginning of the season. Then they went to P.J. Walker, and he had his issues, was up and down. And now they've gone back to Sam Darnold with an interim head coach in charge. So things just did not work out, and now he's going to get another chance at a fresh start. And there just so happens to be a division rival that now is desperately looking for a quarterback, and it seems like Pretty uh, good timing here for the Panthers to agree to release him. Well, I think that that's a possibility. I mean, San Francisco 49ers would love probably to get a quarterback who does have a, a you know a track record of being a starter in the NFL. But to me, you hit the nail on the head. Baker Mayfield just wasn't very successful in Carolina. Uh, they gave him every opportunity. And I think that this is um, you know important for us to discuss because not only have we previously talked about Seattle possibly having some interest in Baker Mayfield, which I do not think that they would be likely to bring Baker Mayfield in, except for the possibility of possibly keeping him out of San Francisco's hands. Again, I don't think that's very likely to happen, but that would be the one argument I think that you could make for him because very clearly, as we just discussed a couple of moments ago, Juno Smith is having a spectacular season. The last thing you want to have is any type of distraction in that quarterback room. Um, but also because the Carolina Panthers, of course, are the next team on Seattle's schedule. And, and so I think that clearly this means that Sam Darnold is going to be Carolina's quarterback. Not that there was any type of real, uh, you know, 
surprise in that regard. I think that Arnold is the most gifted of the bunch. Um, you know, but at the same time, I when I heard the news that uh, that Baker Mayfield had been released, then I was a little bit surprised just because of the fact that we're this late into the season. To me, what it says is that Baker Mayfield clearly wanted out. We know what an emotional player that he can be. I think that there was a possibility that Carolina thought that he could be a distraction if he wanted to be. So let him go and see if he can latch on somewhere else and resurrect his once promising NFL career. Yeah, I don't I don't see Seattle doing any gamesmanship there. Now, I wonder if the Rams might put in a claim with their quarterback situation and just to keep him away from San Francisco. That would be kind of hilarious if that ended up happening and it would make sense from a position standpoint. You could get him up to speed and he could start the last few games and have a little bit of a tryout for other teams in LA. I don't expect that to happen, but it's more likely than Seattle doing it. I don't anticipate that he's going to be coming to the Pacific Northwest, but San Francisco right now seems like the likely destination, either claimed off waivers or signs a free agent if he clears waivers. Next question coming from Jacqueline White and simply says thoughts linking Ian Furness's tweet yesterday about speaking with Rashad Penny, who says that he is close to being able to come back from his ankle surgery and might be able to play at the end of the year or the playoffs. So as far as my thoughts on this, Rob, I'll let you weigh in here in a moment, but I actually asked Pete Carroll today on the press conference about the chances of Rashad Penny being able to make it back. And let's just say this, Pete Carroll, he is Mr. Optimism. He is not as optimistic about this as Rashad Penny is right now. He hasn't even started running yet. That's kind of a big deal with five games left in the regular season, him not doing that yet makes it seem really hard to believe that he would be back by the end of the regular season. Maybe the opening round of the playoffs, that is within sight, but even that seems kind of like a stretch given the injuries coming off with off of. But at the same time, everybody that I have spoken to that was able to see him yesterday or talk to him yesterday said that he's walking without a limp. He looks great, doesn't have a cast or anything, no crutches. So it seems like he is ahead of schedule well ahead of schedule. And so maybe that opens the door. We get into the postseason, you get Rashad Penny back, you know that he's motivated to get in the field. And right now they could use running backs. They're not going to have him back right now. But if they're in a situation where they need his playmaking presence late in the season in the playoffs and he can make it back and is fully healthy, then obviously that would be a cherry on top for the Seahawks. I would not count on it happening, but at the same time, I wouldn't I wouldn't completely dismiss it as a possibility. We have seen guys come back from those type of injuries quicker than expected and play at a high level. It just doesn't happen often. Well, and as you said, I mean, quite the incentive for Rashad Penny. Of course, he's on that one-year deal, and he is looking to try to prove to NFL teams, just like we talked about with Baker Mayfield, that he is a superstar. And so if he is able to come back this year, then I think that Seattle would be crazy not to give him an opportunity to to get the ball as often as he possibly can. I mean, as we talked about, you know, previous to his injury and, you know, of course, uh, you know, Ken Walker III taking off and becoming a, stup- a superstar in his own right. Uh, Rashad Penny was the most explosive running back in the NFL at that point. You know, so I, I do think that they, he has plenty of incentive. He certainly has plenty of talent. And as you mentioned, he's walking around without a limp right now. So he, he does need, obviously, to start running if you are going to be able to count on him being able to run the football in an NFL game. But still, I do think that there is a possibility. And, you know, I think the Seahawks would be open to it if Rashad Penny can prove his health. 
Yeah, and you know that Penny would be fired up. You know that his running back mates would be fired up. That is a very tight-knit group. And getting number 20 back out there with his home run hitting ability, that would be a big difference maker. I just wouldn't get your hopes up about it. It's possible, but I would not get your hopes up that he is going to play again this season. Last question here coming from Jerry Sweet. Does Seattle take a top pass rusher or a defensive tackle and fix the issues on defense? If not, what gets it done? So this is right in your wheelhouse, Rob. And we're talking NFL draft here. I got a picture there. Those are watching on YouTube of Jalen Carter from Georgia, player that is very high on my board. That would be a really nice addition playing three-tech in the interior of Seattle's defense. And right now they would have a really good shot at getting him with the Denver Broncos continuing to lose games. But would that be enough to really change things for this defense, just adding one player like that as a top five selection? I think Jalen Carter is that possibility. He, he is absolute superstar. I'm going to be writing a, a mock draft here for Fox Sports in the next, literally next couple of hours. Uh, should be posted here in the next few days. So I think Jalen Carter is a possibility for Seattle. Number three overall, that's the selection that they currently have here due to the Denver Broncos. And at the same time, I'm not so sure that that Carter would be available to Seattle. I think that he is a possibility going number one overall. That's the selection that's currently held by the Houston Texans, who only have one victory all season long and obviously quarterback is an area of concern for them if bryce young the quarterback from alabama is available that's where most people think that he would likely go but jalen carter is that darn good in the inside Pete carroll has kind of wanted one of these playmaking defensive tackles for a long time the way that seattle is currently running their defensive line i'm not so sure that Carter would be the great fit. But if you went back to that traditional 4-3 alignment that Pete Carroll has always used in the past, then I think that Carter could be an absolute superstar. But I don't want to suggest that this is just Jalen Carter or bust. Corbin, this is a terrific defensive line class. Whether it be Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle at Georgia, Will Anderson, the edge rusher at Alabama, Miles Murphy, the edge rusher at Clemson, or a player that some Seahawks fans have talked about, Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. There's a lot of people out there who are putting Tyree Wilson that 15 to 20 kind of range. Tyree Wilson's going to go in the top 10. And I think that he is a candidate for Seattle. If they get that top five selection, it looks very likely now with the way that Denver's playing. I think any one of those four defensive linemen would absolutely be a candidate for the Seahawks selection. And obviously everybody's going to focus on the draft, but the Seahawks are also going to have some cap space to work with with Russell Wilson being off the books and some of the other dead cap hits off the books. So they may be able to be a bit more aggressive in free agency going out and getting a proven lineman like Uchenna Nuosu who's been a great addition. Maybe they can get another player that's in their mid twenties. That's still an ascending talent. They can add to this line and really make a difference along with drafting one early. And so I do think that is the key right now, especially if you get a healthy Jamal Adams back next year, if you can upgrade your defensive tackle group, get another pass rusher rush off the edge, that really could transform this defense and make it a far more formidable unit in 2023 than the group that we've seen that's been so up and down this year. Coming up next, we've got a game to break down here. The Seahawks back in the win column, winning 27-23 over the Rams at SoFi Stadium. What did Rob and I notice at the game? We're going to dish out our Monday musings, our key takeaways on offense, defense, and special teams coming up next here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. 
This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. It's week 13 of the 2022 season, and I've got Tom Brady finally getting past his demons against the Saints and throwing two touchdowns on Monday Night Football. That might not seem like a bold leap for the GOAT, but with Prize Picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people, it's just you versus the projections available. And Prize Picks offers projections on any sport you watch, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, even disc golf. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. With safe and fast withdrawals, it's currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Prize Picks app today or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for the 12s out there, whether you're in Ireland, whether you're in Brazil, or you're in the state of Washington for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's time to get to our weekly takeaways. Monday Musings, we had a chance to now go back and rewatch yesterday's game. The Seahawks pulling off a thriller 27-23 against the Rams. I don't think many people expected that this was going to be a close game given the injuries that the Rams have on both sides of the ball. And yet, Rob, you and I both know with Sean McVay on the other sideline and some of the talent that the Rams still have, this is a team that has not been giving up despite the fact that they've struggled to win games. And they continue to do that yesterday. So it still was a gutsy NFC West win for the Seahawks. Let's start on the offensive side of the football. What stood out to you yesterday from Seattle's seventh win of the season? Well, I, I, to me, one of the things that, that stood out was just how good that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett were in this football game. And we, we kind of, you know, praised Geno Smith in the opener of today's show. And, you know, Pete Carroll kind of described them as yin and yang um, in his, uh, you know, kind of jubilant uh, post-game press conference. I think that's a good way of saying it, just because of, we, we know how opposite uh, that DK Metcalf at his size and athletic ability is in comparison to Tyler. Locker, who much slighter, still a terrific athlete, but is so quick, is so, uh, you know, just such a fluid route runner, savvy kind of a guy. Um, you know, it, it was just kind of fun to watch the way that the Seahawks were able to be very effective against a Ram secondary that is not as beaten up as the rest of their team. And of course, for DK Metcalf to be as, as spectacular as he was, he being shadowed by Jalen Ramsey for most of the game, not all of the game, as DK Metcalf kind of caught on camera, was motioning to uh, Jalen Ramsey, hey, follow me. Uh, you know, that to me was one of the most enjoyable aspects of this because you did get a championship effort from the L.A. Rams. Sean McVay is an absolute wizard as a play caller and a developer. Bobby Wagner had the defense play in such inspired football. It really was an entertaining game in a lot of ways. And so tip of the cap to the L.A. Rams because they were injured and Seattle's wide receivers just and the quarterback certainly just kind of seized the game from them. Kudos to the Seahawks for being able to win this game because I don't think that they were expecting the Rams to give them as much of a battle as they did, but the, the Seahawks seized it. To me, it was a critical game if they want to have any chance to get into the postseason. Yeah, it was truly a must win. And I know it's not the most yardage that DK Metcalf has had a game in a game in his career, that playoff game against the Eagles a few years back. 
was maybe the most dominant performance he's had statistically. And yet at the same time, given the opponent he was going against, Jalen Ramsey, he's had a lot of success against Jalen Ramsey over the last couple of years. One of the few receivers that's been able to have sustained success against Ramsey. And yesterday he went a perfect eight for eight on targets. When Geno Smith was throwing the football to him, DK Metcalf was coming down with the football. And some of them were really impressive catches in tight coverage, including the touchdown, the game winner from eight yards out. Jalen Ramsey was basically all over him. He had leaped on top of him. It looked like DK was carrying a child on his back, and he still managed to hold the football and get that eight-yard touchdown. He was perfect. He was catching short passes. He was catching 40-yard deep balls down the sideline. And, yeah, Geno Smith was delivering perfect strikes. That's a big part of the equation. But Metcalf was getting open, and the Rams simply had no answer for him. And, meanwhile, Tyler Lockett, all he did was go over 100 yards as well. and tied a franchise record with a fifth straight game with a touchdown catch. So both these guys continue to be among the best of the best receivers in the NFL. That has certainly made Geno Smith's job a lot easier. Yesterday on our postcast, I mentioned the offensive line. Really, I felt like the first three quarters, they struggled. Going back and re-watching the film, maybe not quite as bad as I thought, but still, they had major issues protecting Geno Smith. But I got to give the line a lot of credit because I feel like in the fourth quarter, when they were able to win this football game, especially that game-winning drive, sure, the Rams had a little bit of pressure on Geno Smith, and he did a great job moving around the pocket, but he didn't have much pressure on him there. The offensive line stepped up when they needed to on those last two drives to get 10 points in the fourth quarter and win this football game. And so I want to give the credit where it's due. I didn't think the offensive line played very well, particularly I thought Charles Cross struggled the first three quarters, really got beat badly a couple times. But Cross really tightened things up in the fourth quarter. The rest of the offensive line played much better. So give credit where it's due. You saw the adjustments made by that line, and they played much better down the stretch when they needed to. Well, and I think another part of that was the fact that you saw Seattle's tight end, Noah Fant, and DJ Dallas make some critical blocks as well to help out Seattle's offensive line. And you hit the nail on the head there, Corbin, with the way that Gene Smith really did a masterful job of kind of sliding up into the pocket. And that's one of the things I also wanted to kind of mention is just the fact that, you know, Bobby Wagner has such a terrific performance. But I think part of the reason why is because of how aggressively the Rams were allowing him to be they they were allowing him to quickly trigger downhill and to be able to make plays at the line of scrimmage and so when we start talking about the Seahawks on defense that's one of the things that I thought was interesting how Seattle finally allowed Jordan Brooks to make some of those types of plays basically just saying hey if you're going to send your inside linebacker we're going to send ours too and so Jordan Brooks was able to get his first sack on the season and obviously Cody Barton coming down with the interception that salted away this victory. I'm glad you mentioned Barton because I just noticed this on Seahawks Twitter and we know Seahawks Twitter is the wild wild west on the internet. This the things that are said by fans and I feel like every year there's always a player or two that at the beginning of the season really struggles and they start to turn the corner midway through the season and yet a lot of fans continue to pile it on him. Cody Barton is that guy this year. I feel like he's been making as many impact plays for the Seahawks defensively as any player on that unit the last four or five games. He had a couple of really nice tackles in the run game. I thought after the opening drive where the Rams, they really imposed their will. They ran the football down the Seahawks' throat. I thought they really adjusted after that point, at least the between the tackle running game, really started to shut down Cam Akers, and he didn't have that great of a game 
by the time the game wrapped up. A big part of that was Cody Barton getting downhill. He's more decisive with his reads. You can just tell he's playing, as Pete Carroll said today, with greater confidence. And then it seems like every game he's coming up with big plays and coverage. Since week six, he has the fourth best passer rating against in coverage of any linebacker in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. So you can see that safety background, the athleticism dropping back in coverage. He's got three pass breakups. He's got two interceptions. So that fluid athleticism is really coming in handy. And it feels like in his first year as a starter, people forget that. He did not start many games his first three years. This is not a guy that has had a lot of snaps playing defense. And we're seeing him grow up as the season progresses. And he's becoming a solid starting linebacker for the Seahawks and maybe putting himself into play to to be a starter beyond the 2022 season. Still has some room to grow as a run defender getting off blocks, but it's really been night and day compared to the first four or five games of the season. He's been much more effective and coming through with impact plays. And I thought he had another really solid game against the Rams yesterday. I, I would agree with you. I think that his uh, that he is playing better basically with every single week, um, you know. And, and so I'm in, I'm been encouraged by what I've seen from Cody Barton, and that to me is one of the big points here that I think that we need to kind of talk about is just what Seattle is asking their linebackers to do. And you use the phrase getting off blocks. Seattle is asking their linebackers to take on and shed blockers, uh, you know, much more so than you might see with some of the other defenses out there where they're asking their defensive linemen to take on those blocks and allow the linebackers just to run to the ball. Um, so you don't see very many opportunities for Seattle's two inside linebackers, Brooks and Barton, to really trigger downhill and go straight upfield um, to be able to try to create tackles for loss, create uh, potential sack opportunities. Now, some of that is because Seattle's edge rushers, whether it be Nuosu, whether it be Urban, whether it be Daryl Taylor, whoever the case might be, that they have not necessarily been quite as stout at the point of attack. And so that's led to some of those big, long runs is that the inside linebacker, it's your job to eat up those tackles. It's your job to make sure that these running backs are not just taking off all the way down the field. So a big part of the reason why Seattle's linebackers are getting gaudy tackle numbers, but not very many tackle for loss type of numbers, the way that Bobby Wagner did against Seattle uh, a week ago is by design. And hopefully we're going to continue to see Seattle's defense tighten up at the line of scrimmage. And that's going to allow Seattle's linebackers to make that many more game changing plays. I'm glad you mentioned setting the edge because that would be my one big negative coming out of yesterday's game because I felt like between the tackles, the Seahawks were doing a better job the last three quarters of bottling up Cam Akers and the Rams running backs. They had a couple key stops on third and short. Al Woods had a couple plays that were just jaw-dropping where he just imposed his will and bullied the offensive line for the Rams. But where they were able to have success in this game. And Sean McVay has done this a lot in the past. Jet sweeps, that has been a big part of their offense, beating the Seahawks in the past. And that continued to be an issue yesterday. Brandon Powell, in particular, had three carries for 45 yards. I thought Bruce Irvin really was playing way too aggressive, shooting inside on some of those plays. And it was opening up big run lanes on those jet sweeps. Other players weren't setting the edge as well. They weren't coming up and making the tackles they need to in the alley. That was the big concern. They still gave up over 150 rushing yards yesterday to a Rams offense that has not been able to run the ball most of the season. So 
while I'm encouraged by some of the things that I saw in terms of between the tackles, the way the linebackers played, I thought both of them had pretty solid games. The setting the edge issue that looked like it was rectified in their four-game winning streak, uh, that has not been quite as big of a problem the last two games. It was a huge issue yesterday. So it seems like they fix one thing and then something else crops up as an issue. They just can't quite get everything figured out with their run defense. I guess the one good thing is they do have one of the most automatic kickers in football in Jason Myers. And that's been helping them win football games. Another perfect day for him yesterday. He's 22 for 23 on the season. We didn't have to see Michael Dixon very much yesterday. So really special teams continuing to play well as well for the Seahawks. Not a lot to complain about in that front, but certainly the big pressing need for Pete Carroll and his staff at this point. We got to figure out how to get this run defense shored up and play with more consistency because they fix one thing, they have a couple really nice plays, and then they get gashed by a jet sweep or they miss a tackle or a run fit is messed up between the tackles. They just can't consistently play well against the run this year. And I don't know what the biggest issue is there. It seems like it's a team-wide problem more than just one or two guys, but they got five games left here to try to figure it out. Really, they got two because you know the 49ers are going to be running the football pretty much the entire game, especially with their quarterback injury situation. If they don't have this fix going into that game, the 49ers will run for 400 yards at Lumen Field. So time's running out to get that fixed. Anyway, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow is Tell the Truth Tuesday. Rob and I will be dishing out maybe some hot takes final analysis from Sunday's win over the Rams. And then we're going to start looking at our week 14 opponent, the Carolina Panthers coming to Lumen Field. You don't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.